Welcome to Machine Learning. So I'm going to talk about how to use LSTMs, long, short term, long and short term memory. Um, it's a structure for uh, main, maintaining. Uh, um, it's a care structure used to determine what is important and what to forget. <clears throat> so you're looking at the current cell and the previous cell and there's part of the algorithm is a filter for determining if uh, a um, information should be forgotten and then uh, and then you, you have a sigmoid function which is a 10 10 10 h function uh, for de measuring what is uh, to be retained and so where this works really well is in time series because you're looking at the previous cell or the previous uh, date or you can look at a series of dates to then predict a certain amount of time into the future. Uh, so there's so you're looking back and trying to project into the future and that's good for forecasting and so uh, in the case where I used that, I used it uh, um, to predict on a basis of some time uh, intervals, uh, certain counts, and then based on those counts, I um, uh, was able to uh, build a series. And then the series, I fed that into uh, a four neuron one input, one look back network and with one output. And so that would then generate a prediction. So you, you would input um, a, a amount and it would then give you an output of amount based on the information that it was to forget and the information it was to retain. And uh, and then, so you have a dense output of one, and you have a input shape. In this case, we're looking back one, and the input is one. And so the first thing you want to do is take your data, and um, we would min we'll do a min-max, and we're basically going to do a scale it to between zero and one. And that has the effect of normalizing the data. It takes the noise out of the data. And um, then we can feed it into a um, LSTM network with um, one input and one looking for, uh, back parameter. And then it will have one output. So we'll have four neurons in the hidden layer and one output. And so the hidden layer keeps track of information that it needs to feed into the uh, memory layer which would be the hidden layer and so that becomes your memory cell the, the information it wants to retain and so unlike uh, a Keras network where it's learning a nonlinear function uh, LSTM is looking to the past and remembering 
certain number of steps into the past that might be relevant to predicting into the future. And, uh, and so what I did was I took the example, and uh, in my case, was it was dealing with one-dimensional data because I wanted to do a group by on the month. So I did the group by on the month, got the one-dimensional data, and then uh, separated it into my train and test, and then uh, plotted out the actual data, and then plotted out the test data, and plotted out the predicted uh, train data. And then I could see, based on that, I could see the, that the LSTM was working uh, because it was matching fairly close to the actual data. Um, and so then that, that uh, led me to conclude that I needed to possibly look at other LSTM networks to try to understand them a little bit better for doing forecasting. Because what I want to do is create the neural net so that it can forecast into the future and, uh, and then I can use that forecast into the future for predicting amounts based on historical features, whether they're one feature or multiple features. So that was also uh, something I'm gonna be looking at this afternoon is not just uh, linear regressor and OLS, OLSE, ordinary least square, but also possibly even using deep learning Keras to um, try to discover the function and then predict into the future based on a function. Uh, because it'll, it will try to build the non-linear uh, polynomial series, Taylor series, and, and then you can feed into the function with some degree of accuracy. Uh, so the further you go into the future, the, the, the less certain you're going to be that your prediction is correct. But maybe all you need is uh, four or five days into the future. You don't have to predict uh, in terms of nonlinear predictions uh, a long ways into the future. So again, you know, this neural nets uh, to view the future is something uh, I would say would be very important because it gives you that uh, predictability and that's what we want is predictability into the future. Um, and then you can plug in your R squared to see if it is nonlinear, and you can uh, plug in your uh, MSE. And so when you're plotting it, every, since everything has now been regularized, you have to do the inverse. So you take your, uh, your train data and your test data and you have to inverse it to find the, reg the original amount because it's been trans fit transformed to the scalar model between zero and one. So uh, if you don't do that, you'll just, it'll just plot a straight line because it's just uh, very small numbers. So you have to inverse it and then you, you can see what the, um, the predicted values are, are going to be. Well, so LSTMs are fairly complicated to understand. They're a lot like reoccurring neural net. 
In fact, within the LSTM is a reoccurring neural net. The tangent 10H is a reoccurring neural net. And, uh, but as far as the financial world, they use the LSTMs quite frequently. And um, it would be interesting to find out that if uh, deep learning Keras algorithms have replaced LSTMs, or if LSTMs are still the standard by which to make uh, financial predictions. So that's something that I'd, I'd probably want to uh, discover and talk to some experts on that. But uh, I was uh, on a podcast several months ago, and we were talking about uh, financial prediction and the uh, AI guess was saying, talking about LSTMs, you know, making predictions with LSTMs. And I hadn't, hadn't done that yet. I had done a little bit of work with Keras and I was looking at, uh, you know, understanding how to shape my, my inputs, uh, creating the hidden layers. And then, uh, in some cases I was doing continuous functions with, uh, mean square error and then others I was doing uh, um, entropy where I was doing classification <clears throat> and uh, but I was still not able to wrap my mind around LSTMs and uh, then I just watched a couple of YouTubes about how LSTMs can be used uh, to predict into the future based on the past and it started to make more sense is because you have you have a part of uh, of the algorithm that forgets certain information. So it removes the things that are unimportant to the cell. And then you have uh, a feedback that's feeding into the uh, previous cell, feeding into the current cell data, and it then is applying the filter and if it passes the sigmoid then it's getting stored in long-term memory so it has kind of the, some of the features of deep learning that you can retain long-term memory also you know it makes me wonder you know if we talk about these algorithms and we kind of you know we get into um and uh, you, you start experimenting with them. If there is uh, tools that you can use that can learn from previous configurations, because like one of the big challenges is building your configuration. You know, do you have two layers of hidden nodes? Do you set up three? You know, like in the Ralph, he was say, um, Todd was saying that. They used uh, 32 input, a uh, 32 by 32 input, so what? What uh, probably over 90 inputs, and then uh, two hidden layers, and uh, certain number of node uh, um, neuron nodes, and uh, and then an output layer for controlling the steering wheel, which I think was probably one one number, and it was probably the angle to turn the steering wheel at based on a reference point so you start a reference point and then you can increase or decrease that angle 
and that would have the effect of, of turning left or turning right. And so they were very successful in getting the neural net to drive on the road. And I was noticing that there is uh, open source libraries where you can put the car in front of a simulator. Uh, so the self-driving car hardware and software in front of a simulator and it's looking at the screen as if it would be looking at the road and based on the simulator it would have to detect lines it would have to de detect uh, uh, movement of the steering wheel left and right I'm not sure about the braking or acceleration but uh, it can also be programmed to recognize different objects like uh, bicycle pedestrians and uh, maybe stationary objects like stop signs, light post, power lines, things like that where it needs to know that those are stationary objects. And all these, uh, all this functionality requires computational power. So it, it's going to be interesting if the solution is going to be more efficient neural nets um, that are work based on like some sort of biological neuron where they're, they can do a lot of functionality with just one neuron versus having complex networks with lots of connections and less, uh, less efficiency and less capability but more complexity and more power consumption in order to accomplish the same feat. My guess is that uh, it'll be the, the technology that can be converted to software and disseminated to the open source community the quickest and adopted by the open source community will become probably the de facto standard. Like a, you know, TensorFlow is becoming a standard, PyTorch is becoming a standard, PySpark is becoming a standard. Um, I like Keras because Keras sits on top of uh, TensorFlow and you're not, you know, down into the mathematics as much. You know, so you're using the APIs and you can, uh, you can solve things from configuration standpoint versus from a mathematical model standpoint. And so that's my thinking is that uh, as you apply it to business, that it will follow more of a model uh, tool capability so that you don't have, uh, you have maintainability. Because you're going to be dealing with complexity, you want to have maintain, maintainability on that pipeline and be able to... Uh, adjust to the complexity of maintenance of that pipeline so you don't want to uh, you don't want to lose that uh, capability to go in and visually understand what your model is doing and, uh, and that's important well again we've reached a certain point where we're talking about LSTMs again and, and uh, predictability trying to um, you know create more maintainable models you have to understand what the models are doing in order to maintain them 
and uh, these are things that are critical for um, the success of uh, your company because you don't want to have a model that is is un, un, understandable you look at it you're not sure if you have to you know increase the uh, inputs uh, you need to change the topology of the model if it's difficult to understand like how to go from one-dimensional input to two-dimensional input or multiple features um, you, you know you might have to get a Python programmer and uh, and then you're, you know, you're locked into the Python program, and he may not understand the machine learning. That's one thing I find interesting is you can understand Python, but you don't necessarily um, understand the machine learning. So there could be some disconnects that way. So the more, the better the tool is, the more adoption it will occur. And uh, I'm really surprised uh, at some of the capability of, of Microsoft Excel. They're using that for statistics, and a lot of statistic courses for forecasting and projection are using it. But uh, why why hasn't uh, Power BI become the AI uh, nexus? And uh, you know, maybe maybe uh, you know, well, there'll be a, a cop competition between uh, Python and Power BI for uh, running businesses.